0: with people um, you've given us during the week uh, to pray for, um, uh, this gal that Tony works with and just, yeah, the difficulties in our culture, which is just topsy turvy and, uh, allowing so many things that are just plain old harmful and devastating. Um, and Lord, we, we just pray that you would, um, stem that, um, evil, um, but also just, uh, uh, yeah, that that those who have been impacted by such things, we would be able to um, to to speak truth into their lives. Pray for Tony, just and for this particular person that uh, at work is just difficulty and knowing how to navigate these waters. Pray for wisdom and for grace um, and for endurance. Um, Lord, we thank you for um, Steve and Brenda, just the opportunity to talk with the guy delivering wood. Um, Lord, pray that those things would stick, and pray that you would um, save this gentleman. He doesn't know you, um, and uh, pray that um, pray that there be impact there. Thank you for the seeds that were planted. Bless well, our time this morning as we um, con- to continue to consider um, the word you have given us. Um, pray that you would give us clarity and understanding, and that we would love you more in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, just a reminder. Um, Ken kind of asked me this morning: Are are these? Uh, you know, the, how do these two topics that we're talking about interrelate? So really, the, I, I think of it as one topic where we're, our ultimate aim is, how do we read the Scriptures better? But before we actually get into practicing that and talking more about that, we want to understand um, how, um, how do we get the Scriptures? Um, just because that's helpful to have as a framework, it's also helpful to have a basic knowledge of that for uh, even some of the conversations we might have with outsiders on, on that, that idea. But it's, it's also um, some of this stuff it's um, not a lot of people have heard about, and so it's just helpful to know and have that framework. So last week we talked about um, the production of Scripture, uh, and what we meant by that is um, how, what, what was the actual production process when Moses and Paul and whoever are sitting down and writing one of these books, what is happening? And we said, well, um, the end product is Scripture. It is God's Word, um, and then the process, as much as we can say from a place like 2 Peter 1, is that the Holy Spirit is superintending that process in such a way that it's God's Word that is resulting, and yet it is also uh, human words. It is both and. It is dual authorship. And so one of the things we already said as we're looking ahead to uh, talking about how to read the Scriptures well, we read the scriptures as both a human book and a divine book. Uh, it is authoritative. It is inspired. It is inerrant in the original. However, how do we uncover God's intent in, uh, in in the scriptures? Well, we do that by looking at the human author's intent, which is also God's intent. So that's, uh, that's why it's helpful to understand, just have a, an understanding of that framework of inspiration uh, of the scriptures. Today, we want to talk about Uh, the recognition of scripture, the recognition of scripture. Uh, Next week we'll talk about, well, actually it'll probably be a couple weeks, but uh, um, we'll probably end up talking about the recognition of scripture for a couple weeks. And then we'll talk about the preservation of scripture. So what do we mean by the recognition of scripture? What do I mean by that? Well, how do people recognize um, that scripture is scripture? Now, uh, when we talk about that, we're talking about this idea of canon, um, canon. Uh, Now, uh, you may or may not be familiar with the concept of canon. Uh, It happens in our popular culture uh, because there are things um, like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and, like, these things that our culture loves, and there's always this debate about, like, well, is that, like, you could have fan fiction, but it not be, like, received canon, right? Like, is this legit? Uh, Is this actually part of the the Lord of the Rings universe or the Star Wars universe or the whatever universe, right? Um, uh, And that's the issue of canon. That really is. Uh, So, that's a kind of a silly example, but it does illustrate the concept of canon. Um, What is legitimate? What is legitimate scripture? In our case, that's what we're considering, and what is not? Because you do. You have things that are apocryphal, that are pseudepigraphal, that they're, uh, they're not scripture, they're fan fiction, um, and uh, they're not received or legitimate uh, scripture. So how do you know, and what was that process? What was that process? So we want to, I'm going to give you kind of the broad strokes of how to think about that. We're going to talk a little bit about history. There's a lot that's been written on this, um, that, uh, especially on the historical aspect of it, and there's also a lot of debate but um, let's just start with the basic concepts of that. So let's start with this idea. When we talk about canon, um, do anyone know what the word canon actually means or comes from? Ever heard that before? It's Kind of a weird word, canon, like you think of a, a gun, um, but that's not, it's not what we're talking about. The word canon actually comes from a Hebrew word, um, and uh, the original word was kane and then it, it represented a reed, or a rod. And the idea was that you would use this reed as like a measuring stick. And then that got kind of translated over into Greek um, for canon, so they bar- the same basic word, and even we've transliterated it over to today. So if you think about canon at a very basic level, uh, you think of a measuring stick, a rule, a measure, or a standard. Right, and that makes sense. Why we would talk about the canon of Scripture? What books meet the standard? What books meet the standard? What what books measure up to being Scripture? Now, uh, what do we mean by that? Uh, When we talk about books being recognized as Scripture, we're talking about them being recognized as inspired and carrying God's authority. That's what it means to be canonical. If a book is canonical, it's inspired and it carries God's authority. Now, here's, here's a very, very key statement to keep in mind uh, when you think about canonicity. Um, a book is canon as soon as it is written. Is that true? Right? The, if, based on the production of Scripture that we saw last week, God um, is uh, using His Holy Spirit, coming alongside the human authors to produce Scripture. So as soon as that process is done it is canon, de facto, uh, as soon as it's done. Does that make sense? Right? Like it, it, because of what it is, because of God producing it and how he's producing it, in the m- moment when that book is produced and done, it is scripture because of what it is. Therefore, um, as soon as the book is done, it's automatically canon because of what it is. Does that make sense? Okay, now there's It was like, well, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. Why am I making a big deal about it? Well, does that mean that people recognize it right away? No. (laughs) Uh, And that's the key thing. A book is canon as soon as it is written, right? So God already knows what is canonical, um, and the author knows that it's canonical, right? Uh, But it may be recognized only later maybe recognized only later a book is canon as soon as it is written but it may be recognized by God's people only later and that kind of helps sort through a lot of debate that people have about um, the scriptures because some people will say ah, oh, the canon uh, like the new testament the new testament books weren't officially decided on until the 300s which historically there's there's there is some truth to that but they're wrong in the sense that um, we, the church just, oh, yes, these books, not these books. Um, so um, we made the decision, right? The church made the decision. Uh, and what the, we would say is, no, the church didn't make the decision because the books were already canon. It's just the process of recognizing what is. Um, so it's not that the church makes something canon. It's that the church recognizes in God's people recognizes something that is. Uh, and so you need to keep that in mind because uh, if you hear someone say that, you're like, well, um, no uh, what happened there was a recognition, a broad recognition of what was already already Canon. Um, they're already there. Uh, they're already canon because of the process because of what God has done through human authors. But then how do we recognize them? And that's what we want to talk about for a lot of the rest of the day is how does the scripture itself talk about how do you recognize these books? And then I'll give you a couple um, historical um, pieces to, to get you to think through. And we're going to we're gonna start with the Old Testament, and then we're going to move to the New Testament. So we'll probably only get through the Old Testament this week, um, and that's fine. Uh, but we need to lay a lot of the groundwork for this idea of how do you recognize a book um, as Scripture. Okay. Any questions with those basic concepts um, uh, before we keep going? Yeah, Mike. Well, so that's a good question. Think back to, you see this especially in, uh, and we're going to we'll talk about some scriptures in some of this process that'll probably illuminate some of that, but at least you can point to things like, um, uh, like say, Jeremiah or even a lot of the prophetic books. At the very beginning, it says, the word of the Lord, so we did Jeremiah last week, the words of Jeremiah during such and such reign. the word of the Lord came to me saying, so the, the authors are cognizant of what they're writing is scripture. You can even look in Paul. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 um, that uh, if, if any of you are spiritual or have the gift of prophecy, then you guys should recognize that what I'm writing is a word from the Lord, uh, meaning uh, I, am, I am speaking for God. I am claiming to speak for God. So there's a cognizance of this happening. Um, even when it's not explicit in other books, we've got enough evidence from other books to know that in this process of inspiration, the, the authors know or, and are claiming that what I'm writing is the scriptures, okay? Um, which is actually, it transitions us nicely into, um, I mentioned this briefly last week, but it, uh, it's a key concept for canonicity. Everyone who writes... Scripture is a prophet. Everyone who writes scripture is a prophet. Or to put it another way, anything that is scripture was written by a prophet. How do we know that? Well, what is a prophet? A prophet is not just someone who foretells the future. That's how we normally think about prophecy. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. Um, It's someone who, um, if you were to go back to, say, Exodus, and God talking to Moses. And God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, and you're going to speak for me. And that's the idea of a prophet. So a prophet, um, you know, we we often think of them as telling the future, but really anything that can rightfully be called prophecy is just someone speaking for God uh, in an authoritative, inspired way. Um, So, uh, when you there's there's plenty of uh, prophetic activity um, that we can see through time. Not all of that got written down. A lot of it's just oral. But then there are times when God has His prophets write things down, and so that's when we got Scripture. So Scripture is written prophecy. It's written prophecy, not in the sense that all of Scripture is foretelling the future, but in the sense that all of Scripture is speaking for God, which is exactly what we said last week, right? That it's it is God breathed. God breathing out. The words on the page, uh, whether God was speaking to you orally or whether you're just looking at the words on the page there, God breathed. What's another way of describing that? Well, that's prophecy, right? God is speaking through human agency to people, uh, either about past issues, present issues, or future issues. Whatever the content is that they're speaking for God, that's prophecy. When it gets written down, that is scripture, okay? Um, is that, does that make sense as a concept? Because that forms a huge basis for how do we know and how did the people, the original people, know that this is canon? Well, basically, it's, it, we, we, we link it back to prophecy. Everything that gets written down is prophecy, so then the question of canonicity essentially boils down to, is the person speaking for God, and are they writing things down for God? Yeah, Julie. Yeah. Good question. We'll get to that. So um, uh, we'll get to that. So we're kind of building, we're we're building a theology. We're building a case for, okay, how do we even think about what's canonicity? Uh, There's no denying that other uh, groups, denominations, sects, whatever you want to call them, um, going under the name of Christianity, they have different canon. uh, So we have to address that. That's a historical reality, right? Um, So uh, what we said is any book that is canon is canon as soon as it's written, but then it can be recognized. Well, in that process of recognition, there are fallible people um, in the recognition process. That doesn't mean God made a mistake. It means that uh, humans made a mistake one way along the line on recognizing what is and is not canon. But that question boils back to how do you recognize a true prophet because all of scripture is written prophecy? Um, So you see how those questions, those ideas of prophecy and scripture are linked inseparably linked. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Well like one of the things I always hold through, approved. I think we either just went through it or you're going to come into it in Matthew where you know they're asking for a sign. Yeah. Yeah. So he speaks through a prophet. That's all prophecy means. So you kind of got to change your mindset. If you think of prophecy as the future, no, it's not just about the future. It can be about the future, but it's about someone speaking for God, that God's working through that human agency to speak to his people in a specific time, in a specific place. Yeah, Lael. Uh, this, um, handout, yeah, yeah. Oh, not questionable in, in terms of them being in the canon, but just questionable as far as authorship, who, who wrote. So, But that brings up the, why, why did I hand this out to you? Because even before we talk even more about like this process of how books are written, uh, it is helpful to kind of have, I've got two th- charts here for you. One, the first one, and this is modified from uh, a chart you would see in the MacArthur Study Bible or um, Biblical Doctrine, It's it's modified from it, but... Uh, this is my best understanding of the timing, the actual timing of books being written um, in time. So we know that each book written by uh, written by a prophet, uh, written under uh, God's agency, is written at a specific time and specific place to specific people. So what did that process look like? Well, we can't always line it up exactly. So like Job, I think Job is the earliest book written. Um, But there's a lot of people and even good evangelicals that would debate about that. That's fine. Um, So so this is hard to actually nail this process down. But at least it gives you a sense of kind of the time frame. We're talking from maybe 2000 B.C. up to for the Old Testament. Well, even up to the New Testament, right? So we're talking from 2000 B.C. up through uh, 8100-ish. So what is that? What We've got uh, 2000 we've got a 2100 year period now there's a gap in between there's a, the years of silence between the old testament and new testament but it kind of just gives you that sense of here's god speaking to a specific group of people in a specific time writing these things down um some of the books we don't know a hundred percent who who wrote it there's traditional like jewish ascriptions so like um even like the books of first and second samuel right uh one note, even right away. When you've got books like First and Second Samuel, or First and Second Kings, or First and Second Chronicles, those were all like one book in the original. They were one composition. But even as you walk through them, uh, obviously Samuel dies by the end of First Samuel. Um, so who carried on uh, what's happening, and when was it written? Uh, Samuel could have started some of it, but then you've got prophets like Nathan and Gad. Potentially, we don't know for sure. Um, a lot, of uh, uh, but. Um, you can see there's a prophetic succession um, and and work together on some of these books in composition. But it's some of them we've got um, uh, knowledge of authorship. Even books like the Psalms, uh, probably the Psalms are. If you've looked at your your Bible, your English Bible with the Book of Psalms, you've got like different um, uh, book one, book two, book three, book four, and you may have noticed that as you're reading through the Psalms. Well. Th- those those titles aren't there in the uh, uh, copies that we have, but there's our key refrain at like psalms that end a book that lead us to believe oh this is this is not just an individual psalm being inspired this is a collection a book being compiled and so then you've got two levels of things uh, th- this gets very complicated you've got David writing the original psalm uh, or whoever wrote the original psalm and that's inspired but then you've got compilers who come along later and compile them together in a particular order and way, and those people also have to be prophetic. And that, uh, it gets complicated even with something like Proverbs, because if you look at Proverbs, like, say, 25, you'll notice that those things get compiled under Hezekiah's time. So it's like, well, were were those actual Proverbs of Solomon? Evidently, but then they get compiled later by someone who's inspired. So the process of The scriptures actually coming together can actually get fairly complicated in some cases. Um, But we walk through time, probably uh, there's debate about whether, you know, Malachi's, um, uh, we often think of Malachi being the last book. There's a good argument to be made that first and second chronicles are the last um, books being written um, around 400 BC. So if you think about the Old Testament, we're writings from, if Job is, you know, around 2000, if we hold to that being the earliest book, all the way up to 1st and 2nd Chronicles around 400 BC. We got a lot of time being covered here. A lot of different people, a lot of different um, places. But in all of it, we believe that the Holy Spirit is superintending the whole process to produce Scripture, right? Um, so we talked about that last week. Another thing to bring your attention to, especially as we talk about the Old Testament, so this is the second chart, so if you look, this is like the third page. Um the order of the books and even the names of some of the books are different in the, the Hebrew canon, what I'll call the Hebrew canon, versus our Old Testament. Now, all the books are the same. That's not what, so, all the books are the same, but they are organized slightly differently. The order that we have in our English Bible is heavily influenced by what is known as the Vulgate, which is the whole Bible translated into Latin about 400-ish A.D., Um, which became kind of the official um, Bible of the church for a long time. It was the common language at the time, or at least in the Western church. Um, And our order is heavily influenced by the Vulgate and also the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, produced uh, over time from, let's say, 250-ish B.C. to like, you know, 100-ish B.C., So before the time of Christ, you've got the Old Testament translated into Greek, um, and the order is different there as well, at least in the copies and the things that we have now. So our order in English is different than the order of the Hebrew canon. So that's why I've got this chart there for you. When you think about the um, Hebrew canon, and this is going to be important in some of our discussion, it's basically separated into three categories. The law, or the Torah, the prophets... You got the former and latter prophets, but the prophets nonetheless, and then the writings. Um, So that's how the Hebrews organized their canon. There's even evidence, uh, although there's some dispute about this. There's evidence. uh, It seems like even um, the way Jesus is looking at Scripture that he's following that order, as far as how he conceives of the book being uh, the the Old Testament being what we know as the Old Testament being organized. Yes, Gary. Oh, it's how. That's the name of the Lamentations uh, in the Hebrew uh, Bible. It's called how. Because the book of Lamentations starts with the word how. Uh, And that's actually, in a lot of the books, how they're named. So Genesis is in the beginning, because that's how Genesis starts. Um, And then uh, Exodus is called these are the names, because that's how Exodus starts. Um, So, that's that's um, that's a, a lot of it. That doesn't matter so much, um, but uh, you do. You've got these groupings. It is kind of important to know the law, the prophets, and the writings, because that's going to play a. Um, it's going to play part of the uh, as we we talk about how and when are things recognized. Uh, that that ordering, uh, and how they ordered the books comes into play. So I always get frustrated when I read through the English Bible. If you just read through the English Bible straight, and you're like, oh, first and second kings. Finally, I'm done. And then you get First and Second Chronicles. And you're like, no, I have to go through it again. I mean, it's scripture, so you don't feel like so great about that. But, but the, the reality is, First and Second Chronicles, at least in the Hebrew canon, ended the book, and there's just strategic reason for that, actually, um, in, in how and when they were written. So, Kings is written earlier, uh, at a particular time and place, into and a particular people. Chronicles, covering a lot of the same ground, is written to a different. A group of people in a different time and place. And so then it becomes a little more clear, oh, okay, uh, why are we reading this, right? So, but those groupings, the law, the prophets, and the writings. One other thing I'll point out to you, you know all the minor prophets, so Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, um, <laughs> those, those are linked, they're all collapsed together into one book in the Hebrew canon, the book of the 12. So you got these 12 minor prophets And they all get kind of lumped together into one book. In fact, there's people that argue they're composed, intentionally placed in this book of the twelve in a particular way to communicate particular things. Um, So not just the individual books, but then how they're compiled together. There are those who make that argument. I'm not 100% convinced of that yet. I I haven't read enough on it to know. But just so that you guys know, because that's going to be important to note, um, uh, at least in the Hebrew canon, it's the book of the twelve, and it's one book, so you got First and Second Kings, one book; First and Second Chronicles, one book; First and Second Samuel, one book; uh, Book of the Twelve, one book. So that's why, uh, at least according to the Hebrew ordering, you've got 24 books. Whereas, like if you count up our books in our English Bible, you've got 39. Uh, but that's the difference. There's no difference in the actual contents. It's just difference in uh, how they're counted. Um, yeah, Mike. Yes, definitely. I'll mention that later. So yeah, De- Dead Sea Scrolls, um, huge discovery, and um, and uh, it it is yeah huge. The basics of it, the shorthand of it, is huge confirmation, in a lot of this. So huge confirmation on a lot of the traditional um, uh, way and talk of thinking about the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay, so I wanted you to have that kind of just basics of Hebrew canon. What does it look like, um, and then also kind of just at least some basic dates uh, of when the different books are composed. Um, Because if you think about one of the things that God is doing, He's speaking to different people in different times and different places. There's a progress to Revelation. God doesn't say everything all at once. He says things progressively. And that's actually, as we think about how to read the Scriptures, it's helpful to know, well, what's available? What is the Bible uh, up to this point in time? Uh, Because what did they have available to them? So, I'm not saying this is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna die on these dates, right? Um, It just gives you a sense of like the basic period in which they're covered, okay? Any questions on that before we continue to talk about this issue of, okay, but how were these things recognized? How were they recognized? Yes, Tony. Mm hmm. Not the way we think they would be. We, we understand what's called manuscript, mm-hmm. notices, yeah. books pages, Right, they yes. Are not yes. Yeah. If you want to study that a little bit, study the keyword Mm hmm. Yep, yep. Called, yep. Told notes in Genesis. The together, and the and of the yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the Codex, aka what we know as a book, was actually the Christians popularized the Codex. Um, it became a new ad- advent in technology where, like, um, you have the Codex. It's like, hey, wow, great. We can put, because otherwise you've got scrolls, and that's what they were used. You've got rolls and rolls of scrolls. And it's not like you have a book, you have like a chest to put all of your scrolls in, right? And then you big out, like you can see this in Jesus' day, right? They hand him a scroll, and he unrolls it to, in a certain spot in Isaiah, right? Well, scrolls are actually, it just becomes unwieldy. You can't like, it's not like you can do your devotions, uh, you know, just crack open your scroll, right? Like it just becomes this huge process, but the Codex, um, which again kind of started with in the Christian era, Um, is what we know of books, but that's not like when they're copying and all of that, like you're talking a big old long scroll that can be any multiple feet long, right, that you would unroll uh, at different times, so Tony's right, you got to kind of think about that a little bit, especially when we talk about preservation of scripture and the copying of manuscripts, that's when that kind of stuff is very important to um, people who study manuscripts and studying the copying process, like, okay, how did things get preserved? How did they get copied? But we'll get there eventually. So, okay, so let's go back to how are these things recognized? How do we know? And how, scripture itself um, gives us clues of how does this process work? Because what we said is when God is speaking to people in a specific time, in a specific place, he's speaking through prophets. And when prophets write stuff down, that's when we get scripture. So, if you want to talk about the recognition of scripture, you got to talk about the recognition of prophet. Because if you recog- if the people are recognizing a true prophet, and then they write something, then what they write has to be recognized as scripture and as canon. So, uh, let's start with this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13 starts this process um, for us. So, someone go ahead and read. Deuteronomy 13, uh, 1 through 5. Okay, so what do we learn from those verses about how to recognize a prophet? Exactly. Another, if you, it has to align with what God has already said or commanded, right? Uh, you can kind of use this test as orthodoxy, right? There's an established orthodoxy based on what God has already said. So God is speaking through Moses, who's a preeminent prophet, a prophet par excellence. And um, so he's writing these commands. He's giving the foundational kind of constitution for the nation, if you will, in the law. And um, he's saying, okay, if a prophet comes along, and they will, he's setting up for that. How do you recognize them? Well, one of the things is orthodoxy. It has to align with what's already been written. So, you get something, um, some book of scripture that comes along and claims to be scripture, claims to be written by a prophet, and it doesn't align with the stuff that's already been written. It cannot be canonical, because it cannot have been produced by a true prophet, because a true prophet will speak in accord with what God has already spoken of. Um, So, what uh, one other kind of thing gets mentioned here that uh, in, in in passing what other thing um, is mentioned that you uh, is, is used in not exclusively but is used in identifying a true prophet Yeah a sign or wonder his words come to pass right so um, the sign or wonder so it's legitimate to have prophets doing sign or wonders. Why? To authenticate that they are actually messengers from God. But it's not sufficient, right? Uh, so you can have a false prophet who in God's providence and um, allows a sign or wonder to come to pass, and yet that's not enough for you to believe them. You need to also check their orthodoxy. So part of authenticating a true prophet are signs and wonders. Uh, God does use those but it's not sufficient, right? You also need to check orthodoxy, right? So uh, signs and wonders have a place, Uh, they do, and that's actually a, a, um, you know, even a key piece of, uh, as we talk about the New Testament, the apostles, and the New Testament prophets, uh, but signs and wonders, but they have to be orthodox, they have to align. So if we think about that in a scriptural term, any new scripture that's written, claiming to be written by a prophet, it has to align with previous revelation, okay? Does that make sense? yeah exactly so that's why i kind of use that broad term orthodoxy uh it's not just it has to align with what's written but if he's like trying to take you astray to something else and to another god right um that's part of that orthodoxy you're violating that you're violating what god has already said because god said no other gods before me so we can't go astray to other worship and that's that's part of that whole process so yeah good okay then let's go to deuteronomy 18 Um, and Deuteronomy 18:15 through 22. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read that. through 22. Okay, so what do we learn about recognizing a true prophet from these verses? Yeah, it has to come to pass. So there is an aspect, and especially if you think about the authentication of a true prophet, right? They might make a prediction uh, as part of the authentication process, um, and if they do so, they have to be 100% correct. Because what are you claiming? You're claiming to speak for God. God never lies. So you can't claim to speak for God and then, like... Not have something you said come to pass, then you're not a true prophet. And so, again, if you've got uh, at a scriptural level, right, you're trying to authenticate um, a prophet writes something down, or someone claiming to be a prophet writes something down. Is this true? Is this not? Well, is he a true prophet? And you would run through. Is it accurate? Is it true? Um, is what was predicted come to pass? Um, uh, what else do we, anything else you kind of see in these verses about? Um, recognizing a true prophet. Right. So that orthodoxy note is hit again. Uh, he's not going to speak in the name of other gods. He's going to speak in the name of Yahweh. This is where you get, and you see it throughout uh, in the prophetic books, um, especially, um, you'll see this little tagline, declares Yahweh, or thus saith the Lord, Right. And what they're doing at that moment is they're saying, I am claiming to speak on behalf of God. Um, Or even in that phrase, uh, the word of the Lord came to, you know, so-and-so, they're claiming to speak on behalf of God. And so when that gets written down uh, is scripture. And so how do you recognize whether that scripture is actually scripture? Uh, Is it, is it, um, uh, is it, they would they would authenticate the prophet who's writing that scripture. So maybe he does some signs, maybe he makes some predictions, um, but that's part of that whole process. Yep. the of really the Spirit of God doing all that work. Yeah. shall speak to them all Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Susan, you had your hand. Up. Yes, Yep. Yeah, you're asking that question? Basically. Yeah. Do they always do these things so that there's... You can test them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Or, or like, a lot of... I mean, a, <laughs> a lot of the prophets, quote-unquote, that are out there claiming, oh, yeah, you should listen to me, I'm a prophet, and... Then they make a prediction, and it's like, oh, great, we can test you now, and they always fail, and they try to excuse it. It's like, oh, well, blah, 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 and it's like, nah. See, that's, and some people, unfortunately, even some evangelical scholars who believe in the continuation of prophecy, I respect them, but they'll, they'll try to say, well, a New Testament prophet is different than an Old Testament prophet, and I don't buy it, because even in the book of Acts, where there's kind of crossover, they'll they'll refer to an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophet with the same language. So, biblically, a prophet is a prophet is a prophet is a prophet. Um, You can't make a distinction um, in that sense. So, um, yeah, if, so if someone's going to claim to be, now, here's the thing, is prophecy going to reopen in the future? Yes, Revelation says so. It says there's going to be two prophets um, before Jesus comes back. So, uh, prophecy is going to reopen in the future. But those prophets, actually you read Revelation, uh, they're going to do plenty of signs and wonders, um, and they're going to still pass these tests. So a prophet is a prophet is a prophet is a prophet. Um, and that's important. Why is it important for our purposes that we're talking about? Because uh, uh, how do you recognize when something's canonical? How do you recognize a book of the Bible is canonical? Uh, by recognizing, um, is the person who wrote it a prophet? Did they write with God putting the words, his words, into their mouth? Um, and that, that is the issue. There's another thing, though, that gets set up here, and that's going to be very important for the canon. Uh, this is setting up for a chain of prophets, because Moses is saying, hey, there's going to be people speak to you um, along the way. But even more, this sets up a criteria, there's going to be a prophet like me. And that's significant. Uh, Turn to Numbers. Turn to Numbers. um, Oops, going the wrong direction. Uh, Turn to Numbers 12. And this is actually one of those episodes in Numbers where Moses there's challenges all the time of like Moses, against Moses' leadership, but also if God is really speaking through him. Um, so I'll actually back up to verse 1. Numbers 12.1, Marion and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has not he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. "...not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses?" And the anger of Yahweh was kindled against them, and he departed. So, God says, there's prophets, and then there's prophets. Uh, And so, like, there's genuine prophets. They're going to get, you know, the method of revelation is different, and with different prophets, different ways. But God, God is saying, with Moses in particular, I'm speaking to him face to face, very personal. That's why I say Moses is the prophet par excellence. Now, you tie that together with Deuteronomy 18. What does that mean? You're looking. For a Yes, you're going to get a succession of prophets, and here's how you test them, but you're looking for the prophet par excellence. You're looking for get the guy like me. And then how Deuteronomy ends, which I think is written by not Moses, the very, very ending, the very, very ending, when he dies. It's kind of hard to write when you're dead. Um, 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 but Deuteronomy 34... So, you know, Moses goes up the mountain, God buries him, no one knows where his grave is, but then how does Deuteronomy 34, uh, 9 through 12 end? It says this, and Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as Yahweh commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Now, there's prophets that have arisen, but not like Moses, that Deuteronomy 18 language whom Yahweh knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and the wonders that Yahweh sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So by the end of Deuteronomy you're like whoever's writing, maybe it's Joshua who's writing this, um, you know he's saying, uh, yeah, we've got prophets but not like Moses. And that becomes a key refrain that's going to help us, especially when we get to the New Testament. So there's prophets that are in rising. There's, there's people that are still going to speak, but we're still looking for the prophet par excellence, like Moses. Um, and um, you're supposed to listen to the prophet that God sends along the way. Um, so, again, why is this connected with the scriptures? Well, uh, it, it, what we see in Deuteronomy, if God is giving the kind of foundation for the nation, like, all right, here's how you recognize prophets, which automatically means this is how you recognize scripture, because if the prophet speaks and he writes it down, that scripture, so you recognize the prophet, oh yeah, that guy's accredited, therefore the scripture that he's writing is accredited. Um, so uh, that's 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 the backdrop to understanding, well, how do we know what we've gotten is the scripture? Well, scripture sets a criteria for itself. So yeah, Eden. No, no, no. It's, it's it's a prophet is a prophet is a prophet, but he, um, and that's one of the things we'll, we'll end up talking about the trajectory of this idea of prophecy. Uh, uh, we're talking about scriptures, we're talking about prophecy. So if you want to talk about prophecy, you get to the New Testament and you uh, those prophets I believe are um, held to the same standard. But what becomes true is that why, why do we get new prophecy in uh, with the New Testament? Well, because Jesus came. And there's a lot of stuff that, like, uh, the church needs to know as this new kind of thing that Jesus, Jesus is doing. But then once you got enough knowledge and that foundation, you're good to go. You don't need any more prophecy. And that's where you see in Ephesians 2, which we'll, we'll look at that again um, in a co- um, couple weeks, is um, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what's being built there is the church. So you lay the foundation, you need the re- that new revelation to, of the apostles and the new, and he's, talk, he's not talking about Old Testament prophets there, it's clear from the context, he's talking about New Testament prophets. He's saying, okay, we got Christ the cornerstone, we got the apostles, and we got the New Testament prophets as a foundation. Once that foundation's laid, we're good to go. Um, and uh, for, 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 the, for this new organization, the church, until, uh, and this is the, what we'll talk about more le- next week, the Bible sets up for, like, the next segment. It always sets up for the next segment. Um, so uh, we'll see that in the Old Testament, and you'll see that in the New Testament. What's the next segment? The next segment is two, two prophets prophesying around the, the time when the Lord comes again, right? So it always sets up for what's the next stage? Um, and so what's our next stage where we're at right now? Uh, we don't need anything else as far as revelation. God's given us what we need for the time uh, until... Um, those prophets come about um, near the Christ, um, the Lord's return. So, did I answer your question in all of that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Yep. Oh, I hope not. Um, uh So, what I would say in that that particular passage, right, um, were the apostles and prophets given for the edification of the church? Yeah, in a very big foundational way. Um, does that mean that they're still around? No. Um, does that mean that the pastors and the evangelists aren't still around? No, because they're edifying in a different way. So, they're edifying according to their office, right? So, um, it, it, that's where you tie it together with that foundational issue. How did the apostles and prophets edify the whole church? Well, they're edifying us today. Why? Through their writings, which we still have, versus I'm not a prophet. Um, uh, there was this quote from this guy, I think it was Walter Kaiser, He said, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization, you know? <laughs> um, and, and uh, but, but uh, so I'm not a prophet. I do uh, speak the scriptures, and in that sense, I speak for God, but only insofar as it matches the scriptures. But I'm not a prophet, right? But I'm edifying the church in a different way according to uh, the gift and office the Lord has has given me. So it's edifying in a different way for the work of service. Does that make sense? So, Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we can talk about that later, because that is a key thing. Where are we headed at all of this? How do we read the scriptures better? So we need to... We need to make sure we're uh, working from a good translation that will allow us to dig out the meaning from the text. Yes, Lori. On Sundays, ESV. Yeah, the English Standard Version. Um, You know, so usually the ones we're going to use are New American Standard Bible. Um, They just came out with the 2020 update, which sounds like it's, um, I haven't read it, but I'm not... There's the, the 1995 update's good. Um, ESV, uh, there's, there's others, too, that are out there. Um, you know, so Lexham English Bible is an electronic Bible, through Bible uh, that I like. Um, Legacy Standard Bible, uh, which uh, kind of the, uh, is a modification of the New American Standard Bible 95 update um, that's, that just came out, and it's good. So what you're looking for in a translation, just briefly, and we need to end, but is um, you're looking for something that's going to still be readable, but at the same time is trying to match the original language as best as possible. So more word for word, you can't do a pure word for word from the original because the different languages handle words differently. So if a literal word for word would be like a um, an interlinear and you can't read it, it's unreadable. Um, but you're trying to be on that spectrum where you're close as possible to the originals. We can talk more about that um, later, but we're going to continue to talk about canonicity next week. We've just started with the ideas of uh, recognizing a prophet. Uh, We'll continue with that next week. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you that you have preserved your word, that you have given, um, uh, that you have not left us without um, revelation, that you have not left us alone in the dark, not being able to know you, but you have given us um, an accredited word um, that we can listen to, that we can know in the original as an errant, and that we can follow for um, life and godliness. We ask for grace uh, to do that. We pray for this morning as we sing uh, about you based on the scriptures. We uh, preach um, based on the scriptures. We um, We speak the word to one another in fellowship based on the scriptures, Lord, that you would bless these activities and that you would Uh, honor your name and that you grow us through it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.